Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Little Egypt Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Hefferman. All right, go get them, Todd, yeah! <laughs> and with me today is, is Bucky Dent, sports writer Bucky Dent. Uh, thanks for thanks for joining me today. Instead of us, it's it's me and you. Uh, we'll um, talk some sports and, and check in and see how isolation is treating us, but... Uh, how is uh how is treat how is isolation treating you going into the third or fourth month here? Well, um I can report now that uh we're in a better situation as far as uh, TV goes because no longer do I have to be subjected to the 112th replay of the 1989 Game 4 Ace Giants World Series because we now have swing. Um and that certainly gives a lot more options and uh, more interesting uh, programming and there's still an app on there where we can still get local news if we want to. So, you know, it's, uh, you know, there's that. And, you know, we've uh, adjusted, obviously, as best as you can, given the circumstances. You know, I have to say basically 60 days is the longest I've ever gone in my life without seeing some sort of sporting event, let alone covering one. So that's still hard to get used to. And, Knowing there's at least another month plus, two months, whatever, isn't necessarily easy, not just for me, but for a lot of people that we both know. But uh, making it through slowly but surely, day by day, finding things to do, and certainly being back at the gig helps a little bit. Yeah, it's yeah, it's 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 working. It's it's a different kind of working, but it's still working, and, and we're fortunate for that. But it's it's not looking like the miners are coming back, so I, that's not looking good. So that's possibly putting you into July or August before football starts, and we're not even sure that's going to happen. That's the thing. We don't know that it's going to happen right now because it basically relies on the word of Governor Pritzker, and he is one of the governors that, uh, for better or for worse, depending on your beliefs of the situation, is making his decisions based on science and facts rather than uh, basically trying to restart the economy. And right now, the situation, given his comments that COVID-19 probably is not going to peak in Illinois until the middle of next month, that puts a strain on things with regards to the possibility of opening fall sports on time in high school. I think you'd have to be two phase four by August 1 to have a chance. And right now, quite frankly, with us only at phase two, if we don't get to phase three until July, it's going to really put a rush to things. So uh, the odds are getting steeper day by day. There's no sugarcoating it at this point. Yeah, but I've I've at least tried to take some take the best time of it, uh, make the most of it. I've I've watched a thirty for thirty about every other day. I've caught up on some books and some old articles that I uh, stacked away in a box and been opening all that when I was rearranging the garage so i've kind of enjoyed it from that part but i'll start to get nervous if we get to july and things are vastly improved i'm hoping with the summer weather that'll be a factor for this and that they keep developing you know or trying uh better medicine and getting better data on on this virus that it's only a couple of months old or at least we were only aware of it for the last couple of months so i think every month our medical care will hopefully get a little bit a little bit more predictable yeah, because when this thing starts, you have no playbook whatsoever, and they're developing a little bit of one, but it's, it's sort of like a scouting report before a big game for a coach. Where do you, you know, what what do you go to? Where what 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 are the things you need to do in order to have the best chance of success? And 
the folks who are getting paid a lot more money to figure this out than we are are working on that at this moment. Well, and then you uh, you wrote a story a little earlier about the ISA keeping their options open for the fall still. Um, it, football is supposed to start in August, so is so is golf, right? What, what, yes. what do you think? The, you think the chances are good? I mean, it's impossible to forecast it, but re- what's your gut telling you now for August yeah. and September? Well, right now, I, I do think we I, I, again it gets back to what we were talking about a few minutes ago. I do think Illinois needs to be in stage four by August 1st to be able to have a chance to start prep football on time. Uh, Craig Anderson told me on Monday that he is not going to go against the recommendations of Governor Pritzker or his team. And I think you can safely say from that and the previous uh, path that has been taken that it's not going to matter if Southern Illinois has a lower rate of COVID-19 in other parts of the state, then Southern Illinois is basically going to have to uh, do what the rest of the state is going to end up doing. So it's pretty vital if you're going to have a chance to get the season on time, no matter what sport you're talking about. And I get that with golf, you can practice more social isolation there, so you may have a chance to actually play golf at some point, maybe before you can do most other sports in the fall. Golf and tennis, you may have a chance at this. Football and volleyball, and I I think cross country, are probably going to be a little more dependent on Illinois getting to stage four or phase four, whatever you want to call it, by August 1. Yeah, you make an interesting point. I mean, I've always thought the PGA Tour would come back before anything else because it's so – you know, it's so spaced out, it's easy to control the crowd, it's easy to eliminate the crowd in that sport and still have a, a viable competition because most of the money, there's ticket sales, I'm sure, involved in it, but, but right. the sponsorships, the TV money would still be a viable investment for a PGA Tour event right now if it was a state that they thought they could do it safely and have, you know, 50 competitors and have four of them at a time or even two of them at a time and still pull it off and, and cross country and maybe even volleyball, you know, with six on each side and you get rid of the fans um, or, or limit the fans. I, I don't know, but I think those are the best options maybe for, for the fall early on with all the spectators wearing a mask or at least you can space out the competition uh, there with those sports. Now, the other thing I think you may be talking about too, and this is, Sort of on the same subject and sort of not, but if you're going to have competition in August with limited or no fans, and we've talked about this before, and I mentioned it last month when spring sports were canceled, athletic directors like Ryan Gadiski at Marion and uh, Mark Albertini at Carbondale made the point that it's probably going to be time to live stream everything that you can. You know, get together crews and start live streaming the heck out of everything so that you can recoup at least some of the revenues you're not going to get from hosting football games or volleyball matches or whatever. Yeah, and colleges are, are going to, are starting to face that, that, those facts, but they're, they're a little different situation. Uh, I had a conversation with the, the Valley football commissioner, Patty Viverito, the other day, and, and she said there's almost zero chance that all 11 teams in the Valley will be cleared at the same time. Now, we're, we're, always, we're all hoping for that, but Southern Illinois has one of the best chances uh, to be cleared, I think, out of all the towns 
that are up there, although North Dakota has very few restrictions right now. So North Dakota State and North Dakota uh, are not going to have camp kids on campus during the summer, but they're they're very close to getting some some degree of uh, certainty for having kids on campus in the fall. Um, and that's encouraging, you know, not just for the country, but for them. And then you look at SIU, well, we, we're, we're playing Wisconsin the first game. We're playing UT Martin, uh, I'm sorry, UT Martin the first game, Wisconsin the second game, and SEMO the third game. And SEMO, you can go to a restaurant in Cape Girardeau today and right. eat. So if, if those three schools are cleared somehow, and, and best case scenario, and SIU is cleared, and maybe we have an opportunity there, but but SIUAD Liz Jarnigan makes a good point too when she says, "Listen, we can't. We have to go with what the governor says. Number one, because it's we're a state school, obviously. But how can you safely have football kids on campus if you're not confident to have enough the campus open? So that's the other hurdle that we're all going to face when uh, August rolls around. It looks like. Yeah, it's going to be pretty hard logically to justify bringing in however many football players at SIU might have on campus and then at the same breath saying, well, we can't safely uh, operate classrooms at, at our university because we believe there's still too much of a chance of danger to COVID-19. Now, one doesn't match up with the other very well. So it really is going to come down to, in all likelihood, students being allowed to attend in-person class before you can realistically expect there to be intercollegiate sports or high school sports. Well, what, what do you think, Bucky, about the chances for Major League Baseball now that we're getting into June? Uh, the season typically goes into deep September, uh, deep October with the playoffs. Uh, the you know Some doctors have said that the summer weather is supposed to kill the virus a little faster. I, I don't know how, how big a factor that will be, but if things clear up, they're talking about a July 4th potential start. Um, some people are backtracking on that, but it's they have to face some tough questions, obviously. But do you think we'll see any Major League Baseball this year? I think the answer to that lies less in science and more in the old problem that Major League Baseball has battled from time to time in the last 40 years, 40 or 50 years, and that's labor negotiations because – of the little, I don't know if you want to call it a poison pill, if you want it to be that strong in terms of the verbiage or whatever, that the owners have slipped into the agreement they plan to present to the players. They want the players to take a share of the revenue as ter- in terms of potential salaries or ro- whatever rather than stick to the agreement they made on March 26th, which stipulates a percentage of their salaries will be paid no matter what. At least that's my understanding of it. And the players' union obviously is not going to take that lying down. They're talking about it being a salary cap, which technically I don't know if it is or not, but it certainly reneges on the agreement the sides made back in March. So that, to me, is your biggest stumbling block right now. The way that agreement reads, I would dare say there's maybe a 10% chance at best the players agree to that one. Remember, they're the ones – Putting the having the biggest potential risk on the table right now because they're going to be going out and playing games every day in this pandemic. Them and the umpires are the ones that will really be at risk the most in this situation, in my view, right now. Of course, along with the us uh, ink slingers in the press box. Yeah, and, and you're talking about prorated contracts, 
you know, prorated yes. a partial, That's partial part of the season. The players want the prorated contracts, and the owners are not sure they want to pay it, according to some reports that are out there. But, you know, if they can do it in South Korea, can they do it here? I think there's more, more to it than that. But, you know, certainly it's a glimpse of hope, you know, uh, some sort of baseball. Because we're talking, I mean, honestly, neither one of us can forecast what's going to happen next month, nonetheless. In three or next months. week, for that matter, honestly. So, but the other problem is, and it's it's probably a good problem to have. But if if all these things come back, the way baseball is scheduled, one of the reasons they're scheduled the way they are is because they don't want to compete with football, and and they may end up competing with football in August or September, um, when if they come back at that at that time. But uh, that would be a good problem to have, at least, wouldn't it? Yeah, I agree with that. And I think if they do come back, if they can find some sort of common ground to agree to something on it, I think the 82-game season is logically the only way to go. Going with the play basically within your division, both American and national, just doing one 10-team division, Central, East, and West, because you can't logically expect to play more than 82 games and not have the season go far into November and run into weather issues and potential other problems. It's just It's just not worth it in that regard. And I'll tell you something an 82-game season will do. It literally will give every team in baseball a chance, even the sad sack teams like the Tigers and some of the other stellar dwellers who don't have the depth to last for 162 games. Anything can happen in 82 games. Weakness just don't get exposed quite as quickly. And, and I am, I'm a big proponent of the National League keeping the designated hitter because I'm, I'm a traditionalist. But I, I, am, I am a little excited about seeing you know, possibly 82-game schedule. Maybe they have some old-fashioned doubleheaders. Maybe they, they will have, you know, they'd have to, smart, smartly, they would have to uh, use the designated hater for both leagues at because the, the health yeah. events at, at the starting pitchers that wouldn't have the same conditioning. I, I think that would be kind of fun, too, though, to see that. Yeah, I really don't think you have any choice but to have a universal DH in uh, Major League Baseball this year if you play an 82-game schedule. You're going to have to have expanded rosters anyway. I really can't see where you would have any any other outcome with your roster, but say 30-man roster, expand the pitching staffs, and just allow the DH and, you know, just play it this way this year and then kind of try to get back to uh, the old traditional setup next year if at all possible. Yeah, it's probably going to be the end of the DH if they do do that because they'll, they'll see how many people love it and so many people love it and, and the pitchers will love it. Um, it'll probably be the end of that. But so uh, it doesn't appear like the NBA wants to come back as, as much as I would love to see them back. I don't think they're coming back either uh, just because of the, the crowd control issues and, and the right. issues of having people around each other until they have a, a really strong way to, to treat this virus or a vaccine. That's just not going to happen. But And remember, I, I am, the NBA was the first league that basically shut things down back in mid-March. So... It stands the reason they're going to be the league that's probably the most careful and the most conservative in terms of the approach they're going to take before they allow their players to come back and play games again. Yeah, we'll we'll hope for that, and we'll hope for hope for uh, the NCAA men's basketball season. That's another big money driver for for SIU, and most of the almost all the teams in the valley uh, are, are pretty basketball much. schools. So pretty much, so that's. That's really going to be their money maker too, um, but they've uh, they've got a big challenge ahead of them. But as you know, that's a long time away. Um, 
kids are resilient. They'll they'll figure it out hopefully. What uh, what else are you working on uh, in the meantime here without any live sports? Well, uh, we'll talk later in the week about the situation regarding the miners. They're going to have a virtual opening night on Friday in place of the real one they were supposed to have when they were scheduled to open the Frontier League season with the last Can-Am League champion, the New Jersey Jackals. And by the way, if there is a Frontier League season, and we don't know if there's going to be one or not, the Jackals will have a major leaguer that pretty much any even casual fans have heard of, Matt Latos, who nearly won the Cy Young with the Padres 10 years ago and was an established major league starter for several years. He's now a closer for New Jersey. And the other thing I'm working on in terms of the Frontier League, a story that actually came last week from Le Journal de Quebec, where the GM of the Quebec Capitals, one of the new Can-Am teams that's now in the Frontier League, said that his understanding was we could possibly have a full 96-game schedule that would extend into October. I will believe that when I see it, and I will also say that baseball, outdoor baseball in October near the St. Lawrence Seaway in Quebec could be in a word brisk. That would be uh, that would be some chilly baseball yeah. uh, in, in late September, uh, October <laughs> nights, or even October days uh, will be pretty chilly. Yeah. What, what's tell me about what's what's tell people what's going on with the virtual opening night? What are they doing? Okay, my understanding is that uh, they're going to have virtual. They're going to do it using graphics, something very similar to MLB The Show 20. And Jason Garrett, the radio play-by-play voice of the minors, will be announcing the game. They're going to have a uh, basically an all-star team of the minors' 30 greatest players of all time, I believe, represent the team over the first decade. So you'll probably see guys like uh, Joey Metropolis, uh, Ralph Santana, people of that ilk that were – some of the some of the greats that got the franchise such a good start, and you'll see them against a team of Frontier League All Stars, and you're going to have the the normal between innings promotions, the I race, uh, some of the other things they do between innings. You're going to have the first pitches thrown out, and they're going to do virtual fireworks after the game is over. So it's going to be as close to a real opening day as they can produce without actually having people in the ballpark. This is something they've been looking forward to doing for a couple of weeks now. It's going to be very interesting to see how that concept carries out, if they can make it into a success. And uh, I do salute them for trying to think out of the box and doing some things to try to keep the brand name in the minds of the public right now, so to speak, while they wait for what they hope will be an actual season of some length at some point later this summer. That, that sounds outstanding. We get Joey Metropolis back in the flesh. Ralph Santana, maybe Ryan Bird will start for him. Yeah, I, I, I was thinking, I was thinking we'd probably see Ryan Bird as well. So. <laughs> that's tremendous. That's great. We'll have to tune in. So that's is that this Friday night? This is this Friday night. I suspect you know the I suspect the game will start sometime around the normal seven oh five on Friday night. So we'll have the pregame ceremonies, the anthem singers, the first pitch throwers, all that good stuff. And is this yeah. on their website? You can watch this. Yes, this is. The, I believe this is on the website. So outstanding. So get some baseball back in your blood Friday night. Watch the virtual opening night for the Frontier and, League. And buy your own peanuts while you're at it, and crack the shells while you're sitting in front of the uh, tablet or laptop or whatever, and watch it. We'll see how it all plays out. We'll be back next week. Uh, we appreciate you uh, taking the time to listen to our podcast, and uh, we will talk to you next week. Thanks for joining us.